Now the policeman said to me, does your dog, you know, normally do this? I said, never. And then all of a sudden the penny dropped. It's dusk, the dog's barking like this. He's trying to warn us all, it's coming. Seeing is believing, and I have no proof of what I saw that day other than what I can describe. It was huge. It was like the weightlifter of cats. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Hello, welcome everyone. I hope everyone's doing okay as much as possible, keeping up your spirits during these tricky times with the virus. For this show, we are featuring the lynx again, and being Britain, it will be the Eurasian lynx, which is our focus. We did a lynx special back in episode 12, but it's an important part of this subject, so we're bound to delve into it fairly often. First, we're going to hear from a witness, Rob, and Rob and his daughter Alice saw a lynx in South Gloucestershire, So, Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Rick. It's much appreciated. I've enjoyed your podcast following my encounter about a year ago now. Take us through it, Rob, if you could. Well, Alice and I like to go on an evening drive and really just unwind a bit. And it's our little routine. We go in various routes. And one in particular, it's spectacular in autumn. It's a route that we've been going quite regularly. One night, early December now, I think it was, We'd left a little bit later than normal. It was probably near half seven, eight o'clock, and it was quite a full moon, and it was very bright. We were driving through our usual track, looking really for, hopefully to see a deer, or maybe to see occasionally an owl or a fox or something like that. And in the distance are some cottages. I noticed a reasonably large creature, you know, I assume was a deer, in the distance on the road, side of the road. But instead of sort of jumping off and tearing off into the bushes as they do, it walked towards us, which was a bit unusual. The lights of the car then, you know, start to focus on it. There's something unusual about its movement. And I think that's probably the first thing that made me realise of something different going on. It had sort of quite dark brownish fur, very like a deer in terms of the side view. But as it came into focus, hands on the table, it was a big cat. You know, it was absolutely a cat but a very odd looking cat. Now I'm, you know, I'm someone that lives in the country. I'm not a country person. I'm not an expert on nature. And this most funny looking big cat creatures walking down the road towards the car, you know, not a care in the world and certainly not frightened of us in the car and my lights and everything else. Mm -hmm. And it was, I suppose, in that moment, quite an unusual thing. You know, it was all sorts of emotions go through you because you can't quite believe what's in front of you. Anyway, uh, we proceeded along the road towards it, and I'm sort of, you know, it's a bit like having your brain hardwired. You you suddenly don't, you know, you're in the lights, so to speak, not the other way around. It carried on its general course, which took it into a drainage ditch down the side of the road, which is actually going back there. It's quite deep, but I can still see the top of the animal, uh, its head, its powerful sort of shoulders, and its hind. As we drove past it, in an instant, you know, as if these things happen really quickly. The, the sort of distinguishing feature, I couldn't really see its tail because it was in a ditch, but it was its head and its body seemed to be different. I described it at the time as a sort of medieval caricature of a big cat. Hmm. You know, someone having a second-hand description of what one looked like and sort of drawing the head of one animal and the, the body of another. 
The only thing that I could think of, unfortunately, Alice didn't have her glasses, although she did see it. She saw the sort of general shape, but she, mm. she didn't have her glasses on, so she couldn't see it in detail, which I could, was possibly a lynx. But I, I didn't really know what a lynx was, only that I've got some very vague memory that lynx were pretty unusual looking big cats. Anyway, I convinced myself, I and mean, we were discussing all sorts of things on the way back. So we were, you know, Well, two things happened. First of all, my immediate thought was, crumbs it's heading towards some cottages what if someone's out there what if it attacks someone you know because i mean obviously now i understand that the risks are very low you know it's very unlikely that would happen but at the time my main concern was safety i certainly wouldn't have got out of the car i can assure you that mm -hmm. when past it i turned my car around i suppose i was quite sort of you know quite a lot of adrenaline going through i even dented my back bumper to try and turn around in a very tight open farm gate because it was on a narrow track road, to make sure I could get back and just check there was no one at risk. You know, no one was out putting their bins out or anything like that on these little couple of cottages down there. Yeah. But when we got back there, um, there was no sign of the animal. It had gone. Then I went home, very excited about what had happened. I, I said to myself, look, if I get home and I Google it, <laughs> someone else somewhere has seen a lynx, then I believe I probably saw a lynx or a big cat of some description. Mm -hmm. And I did, you know, and my son was then, you know, 17, was, you know, 16 at the time was really interested in my wife because I think we had that raw emotion of actually seeing this creature. You know, it's very believable when all that adrenaline's still going through you. And lo and behold, one of our local counsellors, uh, Mr. Tucker, Ken Tucker, who I've heard of, I don't know him personally, but he'd actually seen a lynx walking a bit like my sort of experience, bold as brass down the side of the road at Coley Peak, which is a well-known, beautiful viewing spot, about five miles away from where I saw the creature. Yes, I remember emailing him at the time about it, swapping notes with him about it. Yeah, he was uh, very yeah. open and very happy to be quoted in the press because not all councillors would be. Some politicians feel it's potential impact on their status and their credibility and their opponents will have a knock at them. But he was very good and stuck to his guns and said, yep, yeah, I saw a lynx very clearly walk across the road in front of me. There is always that sort of concern. It's one of those subjects, and, I, and I've seen uh, our friend Frank, who works with you, he puts stuff occasionally on the Gloucester News and people just put these comments, you know, absolutely ridiculous, this is nonsense. And I now occasionally put one on saying, well, I, I saw one. And it's one of those things that until you've seen one with your own eyes, it's difficult to believe. Mm. You know, and there might be people that, well, how can that happen? Well, actually, as it turns out, but there's various reasons why they might be out there, um, particularly around dangerous animal license and things like that. Mm. And uh, the fact that our country is actually full of quite nice prey for them uh, to predate on. You know, I yeah. mean, there's pheasants everywhere around here. There's rabbit, there's deer, let alone the occasional lamb or whatever. But there's plenty of other critters for them to, to devour. But again, you know, you know, I was quite mesmerized, but also quite fearful that it could attack someone. You know, I, I didn't realize as much about them at the time as, as I do now. Mm. And you phoned the police, didn't you? Well, I did. Not straight away, but, you know, I went back with Ollie that night, um, took my big torch. We went out of the car uh, and we're looking for footprints. Unfortunately, one side of the road, which he, he wasn't on or she wasn't on, was muddy nice soft mud which should have been perfect for paw prints mm. the, the side the creature walked on was very grassy and quite boggy so there wasn't any paw prints as such mm. but as we shone the torch you know we wandered down the road for a bit and we shone the torch into the wood and we saw these two eyes looking back at us which probably were a deer 
But at that point, I thought, actually, no, let's get back in the car. So we made a hasty retreat, got in the car and drove home. Change your view of the great outdoors in an instant. You know, it did. That's one of the things that's really interesting for me is there was a couple of things. Going back during the day to the same spot to see if we could find some paw prints and then realising, you know, a bit further up the road, you know, there's a little primary school or something. And I know, you know, the chances are you're far more likely to get killed by a cow. We don't worry about those. Mm. In fact, there's almost zero chance of them attacking someone. But when you see a creature of that power and that unusualness, something otherworldly to us, Mm. it's difficult not to be, particularly if you're not a country person like me, I spent a lot of time in London drinking nice coffee, you know, and it, and it was a bit of a shock to realise they're out there, you know, I can assure you. And in lockdown, me and Ollie did lots of walking. And I, I mean, I don't know what I'd have done with it, by the way. I'd have probably just chucked it at it and hoped for the best. But I, I had a little pocket knife always put in my pocket because I thought, well, if I'm walking in the woods and I come across one of these things, what am I going to do? Yeah. And actually, some, some advice perhaps on what people should do would be a good call if there's areas where there are lots of sightings and there are, you know, it's a highly likely that there are these creatures out there. Quite a few people just carry a big stick because, in a way, if you yield that, um, if one was actually um, eyeing you up and its ears were flattening and, and you were thinking, gosh, it actually means business, it's looking <laughs> at me with intent. If you make the impression to it that it's going to get hurt and injured, that's the thing to do. But you couldn't do that really with a pocket knife, could you? You'd, you'd have to have a big stick it wouldn't sort of see it and recognise it as something that could danger it. I think it was there just to make me feel better. I, I say I, I'm certainly not Crocodile Dundee. I wouldn't have had a clue what to do with it, but it certainly made me feel better. <laughs> I think that's half the battle is keeping your confidence. It's a bit like dealing with a sort of tricky dog. I think keeping your confidence, not showing any vibes of fear and keeping the upper hand and keeping your composure. So, yeah, if it's a comfort blanket thing, then that's all to the good as well. But (laughs) But I'll take a stick next time, Rick. Thank you. (laughs) They have other good uses anyway. Could you um, describe it as best you can, including its scale? Okay. So, I mean, the, the classic one is it's the size of a Labrador. I thought the creature I saw was a bit bigger than a Labrador more like, you know, come up to my sort of hip in terms of its head. Mm. It was over a metre long, definitely. Unfortunately, and I'll come up to the the second sighting uh, of it, we believe, Mm. uh, where we saw it sideways on. Mm. Because it was in a ditch, I couldn't really tell much about its tail. I know its head was quite fluffy. I don't know if that's the right word. Mm. It almost looked bearded. The best way I could describe it is if you've got a lioness's body, and put a tiger's head on, but it was smaller than that. Mm. It had a sort of fluffy white-grey head, really quite distinguishable ears, but the body was quite brown and more like a deer in terms of its sort of texture, very rough fur. So it did look like a composite of two animals. What was the overall colour tone, would you say? Bear in mind, this was side-arm view and the car headlights, Mm. but I'd say the head was more of a grey with black hints, and the body was more of a brown and kind of dark brown. Okay. What's really interesting is, as as seems to happen when people have these close encounters with these creatures, you become quite obsessed by it. You know, it's one of those things that it's so amazing. We found ourselves going and trying to drive through the same thing at the same time in, in the hope that we might see it again. It was probably in January, Alice and I were driving down the track. I'd got a digital camera 
Uh, so we were ready this time, you know, because people say, oh, why didn't you get a picture of it? Well, you know, you've got all of five seconds you know, <laughs> to, to get that picture. My phone was wrapped with a cable around it. You have to put in a six-digit number to open it. Even if I'd have tried, I probably wouldn't have got there quick enough. Mm. But we were much more prepared. We're driving down the road, probably for the first few times, you know, we, we tried it, didn't see anything. And we went through the place we saw it before, absolutely nothing, a bit disappointed. We got to a T-junction, then we carried on, and the lane carries on for another couple of miles. Driving down the lane, Alice has got the camera in hand, but we've already filmed a little bit of video, and this is the disappointing bit. Because I didn't have an SD card in the camera, I told Alice to stop filming video because it fills, fills up really quickly, it's internal memory. So I said, well, just shoot pictures. You know, We go around the corner, and there's probably the same big cat, but the, the big cat buys some bins, by the farm's bins, it crosses in front of us. Alice is pressing the camera button as, as hard as she can. The camera's trying to focus on the screen, on the distance on the screen, and it's going... Zzz, zzz, zzz. And by the time the picture comes, we've got a lamppost, you know, and a hedge. Good grief. Uh, but we definitely saw the creature mm. crossing in front of us. This is the really odd bit about the second viewing. It looks far more, for want of a better way of describing it, yellowy than it did look dark brown. Although we couldn't say its tail was a particular note, it seemed to have an ordinary tail, not, if you like, a stumpy tail, which I understand links to. Mm. It was just a really odd thing. But we nearly, so nearly got a picture of it. But again, we got a great picture of a lamppost. When I said to my daughter, now you've had your glasses on, what did you see? And I said, absolutely categorically, yeah, I saw a big cat. But then again, of course, we took the whole family down there. We did it for literally months on end and never saw another thing. I had an iPhone tucked onto the screen, running video all the time. By then, I'd got a decent phone that could take the night vision. And we saw, well, we saw foxes, we saw all sorts of things. We saw deers, we saw owls, but we didn't see another big cat. So we sure tried, you know, for months on end after that, because we were so close to getting a picture of it. <laughs> Saying the different colours, I mean, how absolutely certain are you it was the same animal? Well... This is the question I wanted to ask you, Rick. There was a chap, I think, in Dursley, which isn't a million miles away from where we were, who saw, he believed, two mountain lions, didn't he, across a path. That's John, second half of episode one. The question I've got for you, is it feasible that certainly the first animal we saw definitely had different coloration? Could it be, sounds bizarre, doesn't it, but could it be a, a mountain lion and a lynx sort of knocking around together. I mean, I guess they wouldn't be out of breed, but could they be pals and going around and, you know, hunting the same patch? Is that feasible or would they just attack each other? Or did we see the same creature and with the lights it looked slightly different? It was probably a similar size. Tricky one because I don't think they're going to collaborate. I think they're going to avoid each other. Yeah. Even in the, amongst the same species, they won't always collaborate depends on their relationship whatever they could be very wary of each other because they know one could injure the other or worse but what does happen is in the same locality you get different colored cats different colored big cats more often the black leopard black panther type and the tan puma cougar mountain lion type different witnesses will report different colored cats in the same two or three square miles and you think blimey you know these things are well i wonder if the scenting and all that i mean there's obviously yeah. i mean i won't go into too much detail but there's a lot of food source available in the area we're driving through mm. you know considerable amount of food source for them 
It could be that the scent brings them in. Who knows? Yeah. One we saw sideways on crossing the road was much more like a tan animal. Yeah. But did you see the tail of that one? We both are convinced that we didn't see anything unusual about the tail. So, you know, it wasn't that it was, uh, it wasn't a stumpy tail. I'm sure we would have noticed if it was the sort of much more truncated lynx type tail. Okay. Or we'd have noticed, you know, obviously the leopard has a very long tail. It was a big cat. I mean, we've got four domestic cats. We know domestic cat. The scale's completely different. These are Alsatian-sized cats, but they still walk like cats. They still move like cats. We've got two dogs as well. You know, dogs are lovely things. They stop, they sniff around, they, you know, they never go in a straight line. These things are much more purposeful, much more powerful, really, uh, in how they move. Okay, so who knows? What a shame we didn't get a picture of it. Yeah, but I mean, the first one in your description, the head, as you were describing the head, I think most people would say, well, you were describing a lynx-like head. Hmm. Uh, Did you see tufts on the ears or did you see distinct pointy ears? I'm pretty certain it had quite large pointy ears. Oliver said to me when I got back, he said, look, what is the first thing that you thought when you first saw it? I said, well, a lynx. And it was the oddness of it. But also looking it up on the internet or looking up in references, what matched what you'd seen? Eurasian lynx. There's a picture that was on the Gloucester News when I looked up the councillor's encounter. They had a picture of what they called a Eurasian lynx, and it had this sort of big grey fluffy head and this brown body that looked coloration of a deer. And I thought, that's it. That is the creature that I saw that night. Absolutely bang to rights. Now, I'd have probably seen its tail if it wasn't in the ditch. But yeah, definitely lynx. Except it wouldn't have been much of a tail to see because they are so short. Yes, absolutely. But I couldn't, I, you know, it wasn't a distinguishable feature. And I keep thinking, well, why didn't I notice the tail? You know, because lynxes do have this distinctive truncated tail. Yeah. By the time I got really close to it, it was already in the drainage ditch. And I wouldn't have seen the tail anyway. I was looking at its head and its shoulders and its back. Well, there's another bit of coincidence here. We've just mentioned Frank, Frank Tunbridge, and and sometime in 2019, it would have been before your sighting, probably within five miles of your location you're talking about, Frank put a camera up in that Mid-South Cotswolds landscape. And within about a month, Frank got some footage of a fox with a stubby tail, either damaged or just a defect tail. And he said it actually looked quite like a lynx, particularly in the nighttime view of this. We do see quite a few foxes, certainly less than half the height of the creature we saw, even a big mature fox. They've got dog-like faces. This had a, a flat face and it was very much a big cat face. The other thing I would say is you've got the, the councillor sighting as well nearby. I can completely understand in darkness and everything else, it, it could be easy to see something and think it was something else from a distance. But we drove past this creature. It was six foot away from me at one point, you know, from my driver's side looking at it and thinking, what the, you know, what the blinking, that big cat doing walking down this road and me thinking, crikey, is someone, you know, someone at risk here? I wouldn't have thought that seeing a fox. I wouldn't have dented my car, turning it around to try and make sure everyone was safe when I saw a fox. What did it do as you drove past? I can honestly say it couldn't have cared less. I think Alice describes it as being calm. And the impression I got was, look, I'm not used to being anything but top cat, <laughs> not top dog. I'm not frightened of you. I'm not frightened of anything. It didn't seem to be at all bothered 
by us. It didn't pick up speed. It didn't particularly change direction. I get the impression it probably would have walked in that ditch anyway because it suited it. It was near the wood. It was completely and utterly unfazed by us and our car. I mean, I didn't beat the horn or anything. I was as absolutely, well, transfixed by what I was seeing at the time. It was also beautiful. You know, it was a beautiful creature. It looked in immensely good condition. I mean, it was powerful looking. It had powerful shoulders. It had big, thick forelegs. I mean, it didn't look like some emaciated, scrawny cat that had come out of some zoo somewhere and didn't know how to eat. It was absolutely in top nick. Yes. So many people say, as you'll be aware, Rob, that's very common report. And it does get back to my point that they do seem to be a healthy breeding population at the moment in Britain, if the majority of the reports are like that. Well, I think, was it, I think one of your podcasts in the past, and I, by the way, I love uh, Word of the Week and things like that. Great. Is actually a point in time these animals were part of our natural ecosystem. So, Rob, on to our final talking point, and this is the one where we ask people what they think about big cats living wild in Britain more generally, beyond the sighting that they've had individually. But we're going to complicate it because this episode is about the Eurasian lynx being back in Britain and maybe having a breeding population. Whether that's viable or not, we don't know. So, first of all, before we get on to the lynx within that equation, what do you think more generally about having big cats in Britain in the wild? You, we think, have seen two of them. Yes, it's one of those things, of course. It's exciting, spellbinding, really, you know, captivating and all those things. But I'd also say, you know, and a little bit concerning. I know a lot more about it now since the events. I've looked it up and I've listened to your podcast and things like that. And I feel a bit more reassured. It's a two-edged sword. It's amazing. It's incredible, you know. But, but there's a little bit of concern there, and I'd like to understand and unpack that a bit more if they are in the future being reintroduced. But also the one thing I'd say perhaps gets missed in the equation sometimes is it's connected. You know, since this event or events, me and my daughter, you know, are far more interested in our local habitat. We're much more interested in going off the beaten track, having a look in the fields, having a look by the trees. And it really does make you look at nature a bit more closely. I think since then, although I probably won't ever see anything like it in my lifetime, but I've certainly seen more because of the encounter. I've seen deers and, you know, all sorts of beautiful creatures and owls and, you know, you name it. And I'm sure I wouldn't have seen half of them in the past. I've been just looking at the road in front of me, uh, not really keeping an eye on the sort of hedgerows and things like that. And when I go for a walk now, I'm not just looking at my feet or the dog in front of me. I'm scanning the fields and I'm noticing a lot more. I think that's the thing for me. It does make you appreciate the local environment more, really. Yeah, a bit more in awe of it, really, that uh, these sort of decent-sized creatures like this can be sustained. It's not an urban fox living off the rubbish. It's, it's out there hunting, and that's pretty impressive, really. A mixed bag, absolutely fantastic, really connecting things to get interested in, but also that little small C concerning, just a little bit. This is back to the mixed emotions that we often talk to witnesses about and our guests about. And the point about you're noticing you're more alert to nature and things going on in in the countryside and the outdoors. And so you must presumably feel that's a good thing for your heart and soul and mind, as well as your appreciation of nature and the world we live in. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely spot on. We all want people to be interested and care about the environment. 
people need sometimes just need a little bit of interest, a bit of intrigue to really pull them into that, uh, whether it's a great documentary on telly or in a big cat encounter or whatever. Yeah. It does, you know, something sparks that real interest. As a kid, I've spent loads of time mucking around in woods and having a great time. And as an adult, you know, work gets in the way and life gets in the way and everything else. And you don't necessarily appreciate it as much. And I think that both the interest around big cats, I've certainly got that now. I'm sure a lot of people have these encounters or don't, you know, but get interested in the subject. Really start thinking about the environment, having a look. I've been on Google Maps looking, oh, there was a water source nearby, you know, <laughs> there is a wooded area, you know, oh, and that connects to that wooded area and that wooded area is where the councillors saw it. And you start realising that actually there's a lot more out there than you think perhaps when you're just going on the roads and pretty big amount of countryside still in this country, despite the housing developers. And, you know, we ought to explore it a bit more. And it makes it vivid and real and rather than abstract, these woods on maps, these watercourses on maps, something's using them. One of the podcasts I listened to where the person that was very good at finding them on these trail cams, you know, you looked at the topography and things like that. And I haven't got into that level of detail, but I can see how people are sort of sussing out areas that might be a good place to put a trail cam. And I haven't bought one yet, but I would admire, I wouldn't rule it out in the future. I think it would be a really cool thing to get, even if you've got some badges and deers and that. It's just be really interesting. Yeah. Well, just seeing what's going on in your garden. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got four domestic cats, so you know, I expect there'll be quite a bit going on, scrapping. They can be pretty fierce too, you know. <laughs> You're reminding me, we had, when Owen was younger, Owen helped produce and edit these podcasts, and so he's the behind-the-scenes guy. Um, but when he was younger, for a month in September one year, we had a ring-necked parakeet, which, of course, our listeners in the southeast will know all about. But us country bumpkins in Gloucestershire here, where you and I are, it's very rare for a ring net, one of those green sort of parrot-like birds to squawk away in the garden. This exotic bird coming in every day to the peanut feeder. And that month, Owen was looking out for it every day, as was his older sister. And Owen, in particular, had never really related to birds a great deal. And that month, he learned more about the garden birds than he ever has done in his life, because he was super alert and noticing all the others and looking them up. So, yeah, that one bit of exotic encounter really does open the mind. Yeah, collateral interest. (laughs) So links reintroduction, say we were going to have a program coming up in the next five years or so, where we were going to carefully, bit by bit, release some links and radio collar them and see how it went and maybe recall any that were misbehaving, because you can do that if they've got radio collars, and try and get to something like the 250 sort of threshold that you need for the genetic diversity over 20, 30 years. And so England and Wales had 250 officially released, reintroduced links. What would you think about that, Rob? Well, I think from what I now know, overall, I think that would be a great idea. I think with all those checks and balances, and I think professionalism around that process and the technology we've got now, but perhaps melding in with that, good education in those areas where they are going to be reintroduced, making sure that people know what to do if they come across one, for example, Mm -hmm. and perhaps some signage. If you're aware of a risk, you can take the choice whether you take it or not. And I think if you're not aware of it, that would be the more concerning thing. Again, from what I understand, the chances of you getting more by one are extremely low. Particularly a links, Rob, actually, particularly a links. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I think, you know, the interest and the intrigue and the 
draw that would bring for the good of the environment would be absolutely fantastic. When I was a kid, when these wonderful early David Attenborough programs came on, you know, we'd never seen anything like some of these amazing foreign creatures and everything else. But over the years, you know, people are a little bit hardened to it now, no matter how good the photography. People have seen the penguins, seen the polar bears and all that. But to actually go and get in a car with mum and dad and go for a walk where you might see a lynx, all right, the chances are you probably won't. But I think it would just draw people in that wouldn't otherwise get that opportunity to get really interested in nature. So I think overall, it's a really good idea, actually, but it would need careful handling. And we'd need to know they get on okay with the ones that were informally introduced. (laughs) Well, they might help. I think they might help the genetic diversity. (laughs) Yeah, you might not need as many as you think. (laughs) It is a tricky one when we know that there's, there's some here already. I'm not a landowner or a farmer or anything. I haven't got expensive horses, but these people that have, they would need some form of protection or compensation or whatever, should one get out of hand and take a few sheep mm. or something. And as long as it was reasonably proved, you know, the thing's been eaten out like a big cat does. And it needs to be a package. It shouldn't just be a, you know, let's let one out, see how we get on, which is obviously what's happened in the past with some private owners. It's clearly happened, but that's not the right way of doing it. <laughs> You've actually queued next week's episode, actually. We're going to have a special additional episode with David Hetherington, author of The Links and Us, and he's going to take us through all of those kinds of issues, case studies from Europe and where the good practice and the sort of lessons learned from the not-so-good practice comes in. So that'll be a fascinating hour, sort of university lecture-type episode with David Hetherington next week. You've set it up nicely by asking those questions. I mean, you're aware that, of course, we've got sort of black panther, leopard-like cats, and we've got the sandy brown puma, cougar, mountain lion, and we've got the lynx as our three candidates. Do you give them any kind of um, priority, or do you see them all lumped in together as large deer-eating cats in the British ecosystem, or do you think that the lynx has got is elevated in status because it was a former native? What I would say is, from my non-learned understanding... I would say the links probably are maybe a little less dangerous from what I understand. And in that respect, that probably means they're a bit more suitable. However, from my perspective, I think, you know, we found that Britain actually is a place where these big cats can survive and thrive. You know, I mean, the, the one I saw wasn't just livid, it was livid it up. It was in perfect condition. Beautiful poise, power, you know, absolutely powerful looking cat. It wasn't emaciated, it wasn't manky, it looked in great condition. It's a bit unfair if they're doing so well to go and go and shoot them or whatever. I don't think that's the right thing to do. But I think if you were to try and promote one to sort of control deer or get interest, allow people to have more interest in this, then it sounds like the lynx would be a good candidate, you know, perhaps more so than the others. However, I think from, from all, everything I hear and understand, you know, these other species are doing equally well, you know, in our environments. And, you know, perhaps it's because there's lots of pheasants out there and, and deer and and other things, which probably shows that nature's doing a bit better than we probably think it is, because if it wasn't, I guess they wouldn't be able to survive, would they? And they'd cause us some more issues than they seem to be. Yeah, they'd always be taking sheep or whatever. So, you know, I certainly wouldn't say, well, lynx is great, so let's go and hunt down the others with drones and have them shot. You know, I mean, if they're not causing a problem, they're not doing anyone any harm, are they? Having said that, if my daughter and son's on a DV and they walk around the corner and bump into one. Hopefully they'd be okay. But, you know, there is a risk there that wouldn't be if they weren't in the habitat. 
I was once interviewed by some Duke of Edinburgh students who were doing a survey on what people thought of the Beast of Exmoor in Exmoor. And I thought they bumped into the wrong person asking me that question. (laughs) But it was great fun. I was so heartened to see them choose that as a subject. So good for them. We made sure the zip was dead up tight on the tent that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rob, I'm really grateful. I'm sure the listeners enjoyed that. And well done. For, well, you're very lucky having two sightings, I think. It was very interesting for you. I generally think I'll never have that in my lifetime again. I'm really thrilled that it happened. I'm, I'm intrigued as to whether it was the same creature or certainly looked very different in terms of coloration. But you know, what's drawn them into that place? Probably pheasants and things like that. It's a big area for hunting and stuff. So... I'm worried about hunters wanting to shoot them, but then it probably wasn't for the hunters. They wouldn't be doing so well. So, you know, it's an ecosphere, isn't it? That's what it is, I guess. With some unusual guests. (laughs) Splendid. Thank you ever so much, Rob. And thanks to Alice. I know you discussed it with her and it was driving with her that prompted you to see this. Yeah, absolutely. So our best wishes to Alice. I'll pass it on. Okay. All the best, Rob. Thanks for coming on Big Cat Conversations. Well, thanks for having us. And uh, thanks for your shows. I thoroughly enjoy them. Word of the week for this episode is stochastic, or the term stochastic processes. Stochastic is used in science and biology in the sense of random, a random event, a random circumstance. And it's important because stochastic processes can influence data and information and so can influence assessments and judgments based on that information. It's an important factor in considering small populations in biology, for example, and small populations of cats, whether they're an emerging species like we may have in Britain or a declining situation, declining population, such as the Iberian lynx in southern Spain and Portugal, which we very briefly touch on at the end of the interview with our second guest. And so the example with the Iberian lynx would be in a small cluster of territories where there may be several females and fewer males. If amongst those males there are two, but the two males die because there's a road accident and one dies because of natural processes, suddenly you've lost your two males, you haven't got any breeding until a new male comes in and forms a territory and the breeding may start again. So the radio collar data may say that six individuals has gone down to four, but those two males are critical for the future of that small part of the population. So stochastic processes are used as a marker in science to recognise that random events can influence data and information. So there's our word of the week, stochastic. For our next guest, we welcome Maria from West Cornwall. Maria has a woodland near her house and she's going to tell us about one evening a few months ago when she wandered into it and saw an unusual animal. So Maria, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, it's good to be here. Great, thank you. So take us through your encounter with a lynx-like cat, you think, Maria? Yeah, for sure. It was somewhere in the middle of lockdown and I think I was feeling a bit bored or a lack of routine. We're very fortunate to live on farmland, which has its own private woodland. And we normally walk through this woodland in the daytime, take the dog through there, but to add a bit of variety to lockdown, I said to my husband, why don't we walk through the woods with head torches? Because it's something that we've literally never done. I thought, you know, it might add a bit of variety today and a bit of fun. Alongside that, we decided to get in our camper van and camp in the fields, literally on our private land as well that night. So put the camper van up, put the head torches on. 
And it must have been about half past 10, 11 o'clock at night. And we started walking through the woods. Nothing really that unusual, just kind of admiring the surroundings. And it all looks so different at night. And then we got about halfway along through the woodland and my husband was just like stopped and he was in front of me. He stood there and he said, there's something in the undergrowth there. And I thought he was joking. I thought he was trying to scare me. And I just looked across and we saw this like light brown shape, kind of behind all these kind of like this long green grass, lots and lots of undergrowth there. We saw this really, really bizarre brown creature. That was the first kind of like sighting of it, if that makes sense. Okay. At that time, you didn't even know what type of animal it was, but you kept on looking and kept on wondering. Yeah, I mean, I stood there. It was such a bizarre feeling because the only way I can describe it is that I was standing there and it felt like my brain was like clicking through all its references to past animals I'd seen and nothing was matching what I was seeing, if that made sense. Mm -hmm. It, It was the most bizarre moment. In my first split second, I thought it was a deer. We get a lot of deer on the farm as well. But what made me realise straight away that it wasn't a deer was was its behaviour. It wasn't typical deer behaviour. And we've come across many deer on the farm and they see you and they are literally gone. You know, they're very skittish. And um, But this thing was just stood. And then after I went through the whole, okay, it's not a deer. Then I thought it's standing like a tiger would stand, which is like really bizarre. And nothing was making any sense to me at this point. But, you know, these thoughts were going through so fast. And um, then I kind of noticed its back end and its back end was very big and very muscly. And that's when I started to think, oh, you know, oh my God, what is this? And it was, we must have been stood there for about 10 to 12 seconds and it was literally frozen. It was just stood really still. But what really hit me was the muscular sort of stature, particularly of its back end. We were literally just stood there, just looking in disbelief, not really talking, just both quite shocked. And then after about 10 to 12 seconds, it just leapt out. And wow, that was just an incredible moment because you could see it was a cat. It was a little bit bigger than my Cocker Spaniel and it had a really short stumpy tail. And that was very, very obvious. And for me, what really kind of overwhelmed me was the muscular back end and this short stumpy tail. And then you could see the cat face and then it was over the hedge and it was gone. It was incredible. Very interesting. Did you see any eye shine? Did it look into your spotlights, your torches? No, no, my husband saw the face front on when he first got there, but I, I only saw it from side on. But he just said it's a cat face. When we first got there, I was like, yeah, right, it can't be a cat face. It was just really, just a surreal moment. No, I didn't look into its eyes. My husband saw it front on, but he hasn't actually said that he looked into its eyes or anything, but yeah. Did you get a view of the coloration and any markings on the body? I don't recall any markings, but I remember it being quite a light brown sort of like almost a beigey sort of colour. But I know, I, I keep thinking back, but I didn't recognise any markings. But obviously it was really dark and we had head torches, so there could have been markings, but I didn't actually see any on that night, no. Okay, and before you came on, when we spoke earlier, you said it was like a mini tiger. And actually, apart from the tail, of course, tiger's tails are much longer. Yeah. But it's very good, especially the head. Obviously the tufts are different, but yeah, yeah. I think mini tiger is a very good description of the yeah. form and the shaggy head of a lynx, actually. Yeah, and it was his behaviour, I think. I think I've watched a lot of like nature programmes on TV, and it was just the behaviour and the way that it was standing that was like really, really unusual. And that's what made me think that it just looked like a tiger. It was bizarre. My husband probably saw more of the head than I did, but I just my focus was on the back end. I was just so fascinated by this muscles. And, and what we obviously didn't know was going to jump out when it did. So I think I was probably still looking at the back end by then, you know, got a glimpse of the face sort of sideways as it went, but it happened so fast. It was really impossible for me to get a close look, but yeah, I wish I had done. Yes. Did either of you see any tufts on the, or did you see the sort of ear shape? 
No, we didn't. No, we've talked about that, actually. I think it was just so quick and it was so dark. Uh, it just went. So it was only the really big things that stood out to us, if that made sense. So it was it was just the muscular body and the, the tail that were the really two identifying things for me. We had no idea that it was a possible link. You went back and looked on Google Images, did you? Yeah. We were supposed to be sleeping in the camper van in the field that night, but after that experience, I got back to the camper van and I was just so excited. I just could not stop talking and we weren't going to get much sleep, so we decided to come back home and sleep indoors. But yeah, I was Googling it and I Googled a picture of a lynx and it's exactly what I saw. The light brown colour, the tail, everything, and it was like instant. And, you know, I thought as I was walking back from seeing it, I thought I'm pretty sure we've just seen a lynx. I'd never really like, investigated links before or pictures, but there was just something in my mind going, I'm pretty sure it was something like a lynx. Came home, Googled it. Yeah, absolutely what we saw. Perfect. It was the back end and it was the tail that were just identical. So, yeah. Can we get a closer gauge on the scale? If you had to say the length of the head to the rump, head to tail length, excluding the tail, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'm probably saying bigger than my Cocker Spaniel, but I don't know, but not much bigger than my Cocker Spaniel. So I'm guessing, how big must she be? Um, she's not a metre long. Three quarters of a metre long, possibly. A Cocker Spaniel size, just a little bit bigger than my dog, and she's fully grown Cocker, so yeah. Height as well as length, similar height? Yeah, similar height. A little bit taller, I'd say, than the Cocker Spaniel, but not much. You know, very little difference. But the reason that I kind of compare this is because on that night, our dog was with us as well, but she'd run on quite a way ahead. And I thought it quite strange that there was this wild cat, you know, right in front of us. And my dog was completely oblivious to it, which is the thing I found most shocking. And it was when she sort of came running back to us, I realised the size of this thing, if that makes sense. I also heard, Maria, that you lost your domestic cat around this time. Is that right? We did, actually. And that was probably about 10 weeks ago now. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's quite, yeah, it's really unusual. But um, she's very much a home cat, very in the house all the time. But she used to hang out in the fields next to the woodland. And of course, you know, you kind of think, did the wild cat get our cat? I don't know. And what else is unusual is that there are no rabbits on our woodland whatsoever in our, in our farm, which is really, really strange, you know. And I'd always thought that maybe disease had got them. But there's lots and lots of rabbits very close to us on surrounding land, but nothing on our farm whatsoever. So you can make these things up and come to the wrong conclusions. But also it makes you wonder if there are cats out there that are eating Things like our cat and rabbits, I don't know. Yes, well, I think all of that's possible. I think you're right to say you shouldn't necessarily make that assumption, but also it's mm. just, a, it, it is very possible as well. The diet analysis of lynx in Europe does show small amounts of domestic cats taken if there's got the opportunity. Really, really. We can come on to your attitude about it in a minute. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you said it's exciting. So on reflection, are you concerned? What is your emotion about having a visitor like that on your land to your woodland sometimes? Not concerned, privileged. I feel so privileged to have seen that. And it's quite bizarre because I was out in Sweden a couple of years ago and the guy out there who was leading the trip said he's seen one lynx out there. He said, but they're so rare to see. You're lucky if you see one in a lifetime, you know. And I think I had in the back of my head afterwards, and I still feel that, that I have probably seen something that most people will never, never see. And I feel very fortunate to have experienced that. And I think the emotions attached to that for me, I mean, on the night, they were just like a pure like shock, excitement, you know. Um, And then afterwards, it was the realisation that we had seen something very rare. We told a few friends and family and then people were, you know, we had the whole disbelief thing. And that was like, it was so frustrating because what we saw, we saw very clearly. And it was both me and my husband, and it was quite an easy animal to identify when we Googled it. And it was, yes, this is what we saw. Mm. 
I feel really excited that this is in our environment and um, nobody kind of else really knows about it, if that makes sense. Mm. But I'm also excited to think if that's out there, what else is out there that we don't know about? Because never, ever would I have assumed that there would have been like a big cat living in our woods, you know, or living in that area. So there's a lot of emotions. So there's no fear at all. It's more excitement and awe, I think, the awe of having seen something that we're very lucky to have seen. Yeah. Okay. But say it did take your domestic cat. Does that change your attitude? I don't think so, because I don't know. You know, obviously, we want our cat back. Everybody would, is, is, you know, it's our cat. But we, we will never know if it took our cat. And even if we did, we could not stop that happening. I guess it's a predator and it needs to eat. So, yeah, I don't think it would change my opinion. Um, and I wouldn't dislike them. Hmm. There are a lot of things around that the cat could have been hit by a car, but, you know, things like that. So we just don't know. So, no, it wouldn't have changed my opinion about the links. I don't think it ever will. Because I think it was just such an amazing thing to have seen that, yeah, I don't think anything can really overtake that emotion, if that makes sense. But it doesn't mean I don't miss my cat, obviously. (laughs) Okay, well, that's very reasonable. Now, Lynx or Bobcat? We're doing this episode calling it Lynx, and maybe we should call it Lynx like large cats. Because, yeah, we don't know, actually, for sure, from the witness descriptions, whether they are Bobcats or Lynx. I think they're more likely to be Eurasian Lynx in the main. Yeah. I gather you've puzzled um, over being precise about it and think you should just maybe be reserved about whether it was a lynx or a bobcat. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, there's not a lot of clear explanations about the difference and they look very similar in some pictures. I have Googled that a lot and tried to research that a lot and I haven't really come up with any answers because, you know, they look very similar in some pictures and I think the location's got a lot to do with it as well, where they could potentially be. Is it more likely to be a lynx or is it more likely to be a bobcat? When you Google it, it's very confusing to try and work out the difference, if that makes sense. It's more likely we've got found a population of Eurasian lynx than American bobcats in this country. Yes, that's right, yeah. I presume it's possibly more likely to be a lynx, but yeah, it is fascinating though. It's very fascinating. There are so many different breeds and things. It's Yeah. A few little subtle differences. The size, for one thing, actually, a big male Eurasian lynx is going to be a fair bit bigger than a big male American bobcat. And the tail, the bobcat's got a banded tail, whereas the lynx has got a sort of little white marking near the end and then a black tip. Right. But that, of course, it'd be difficult to see at a glimpse. I do recall seeing something on the tail that was a different colour, but because I can't remember the colour that I saw, I don't feel confident enough in giving the right information, if that makes sense. But I've looked at so many pictures now of lynx and bobcat that I'm confused in my mind about what colour I saw. But a bobcat has got a banded tail. Right. And so if it wasn't banded, but again, probably you didn't see it long enough or in daylight enough. No, exactly. So I don't want to sort of give the wrong information because I honestly didn't see it that, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, for me, is pointing to lynx more is that yeah. most of these wildcats have got very powerful hindquarters. That, you know, the yes. top of their back legs are very muscular because they have to for their leaping and agility and explosive yes. um, rushes that they need to make at their prey. But... The lynx, the Eurasian lynx, if you look at pictures of them, they are very much more pronounced at their hindquarters, the haunches, the back end. And some witnesses describe them as higher at the back end. And that is very apparent on a lynx. It's also apparent on a puma, the cougar, the mountain lion. So what you said about how taken you were, you noticed that muscular, powerful hindquarters. Bobcats don't have that so distinct. Right. So have a look at that. And so what are you doing to follow up? Putting trail cameras, I gather. Trail cameras, yeah. Well, there's a few things. I got in contact with 
Braden Wilkins, he came round and said it's a perfect environment for links, basically. But so that was really interesting and to get more information from her. And I'd also been putting up trail cams before that to try and catch something. And um, she's donated me another trail cam to use temporarily so I could put more up to try and see if I can catch anything. Yeah, so basically, I'm literally just trying to catch something on camera. And I know the chances are very, very slim, but you never know, you know. I mean, so far, I've got squirrels, mice and a magpie on the camera, I think, but that's about it. But Join the club, yes. Yeah, but I'm, I'm desperate to sort of like just keep putting the cameras out there, leave them out there, just see what happens. And it just made me really look at the woodland in a different way when I'm walking through it as well, when I'm putting those cameras up, you know, it just... I don't take it for granted quite so much and it makes me really appreciate the potential of what could be down there. Yes, it's a whole ecosystem with a predator in it now, in your mind. Yeah, and for real. Exactly. It may only be back once every six months or once every year or something. That's the problem, isn't it? Exactly. We've had a couple of times as well where my dog, I mean, my dog normally runs into the woodland, goes straight in there and she's exploring, but there's been a couple of times where it's been really strange where she's gone into the woodland, just frozen, like something has really like spooked her or something and um, that's happened a couple of times and my sister-in-law's got a dog and their dog's done the same thing as well so that also makes me question are they picking up the scent of a cat there because it's really unusual behavior for her i think again you're right to be open-minded about that actually in that potential well good luck with the trail camera and that's very good you're in touch with rhoda rhoda uh, people might remember was on our episode called night patrol And we talked about the Cornwall Beaver project on that episode as well. So good luck with the trail camera. Good that you've got more than one, because I think you always need two or three in one area. Exactly, yeah. But it's always become an obsession now. I'm putting them up all the time and taking them down. It's become my priority of the day, you know, so yeah. I never take them down. If they're getting deer, I think you should leave it. The less time you sort of interfere with them, I just swap cards around. Yes. Yeah, have you done my trick with putting a scented stone That is on this week's list to do, for sure. So, yeah. Yeah, I hope that works for you. Final point then, Maria. So there's a discussion about whether Eurasian links should be reintroduced in Britain in pilot situations to see how it goes and then maybe extended if those pilot projects work okay. And they would have radio collars on initially. What do you think about that? And having seen the links up close, you think, what's your attitude towards links being back in Britain? I'm very happy for them to be there. And I don't know what the numbers are with regards to links. Are they endangered? Is there a lot of them around in the world? In most parts of Europe, the issue is about whether being reintroduced, getting the numbers viable. And for a mammal, a large carnivore like a lynx, you need to get to 250, 300 for genetic diversity. The other species of lynx in Europe, the Iberian lynx yeah. in southern Portugal and parts of southern Spain, is endangered. Critically low numbers, but action is being taken there to help recover the population. There's less males, obviously, to female ratio. If a male gets killed on the road, every male is precious, you know, and is going to affect a critically low endangered population. But not quite the same with the Eurasian lynx. So you'd be happy to see an official reintroduction programme for lynx, would you? Yeah, I think I would. And I think even more so. I mean, if any listeners here haven't watched the David Attenborough programme called Extinction... I think it's on Netflix at the moment, but I watched that the other day and it just made me realise how few animals there are left in the world in comparison to humans, you know. And So I think anything that is going to introduce animals back into the world in certain areas, yeah, it's probably a very, very good thing. So, yeah. Anything else you want to say before we leave it? Maybe open your minds to the fact that these animals are existing around us because I probably thought that they were, but now having seen one, I definitely knew that to be the case, you know. So 
maybe it's just for people listening to this, you know, really pay attention to your environment. Do things like go out and walk with head torches at night. Go and explore the environments and all this wilderness that we have around us that we often fail to pay attention to because I think there's a lot to be discovered for sure. I think a lot of people have changed their habits as a result of lockdown. So are you actually kicking yourself thinking, gosh, if only I'd been doing night walks and evening walks more often, I might have seen other aspects of nature that I've missed. It's been a good thing because now I'm actually going out more at night. I've taken my sons down into the woods and we've been looking for a link to the big cat. Yeah, so I have been down in the woods a lot more at night. But also I'm very aware that I don't want to go in too often and disturb anything that is potentially there, if that makes sense. So a new discovery for you. Yes, absolutely. Great. Maria, I want to thank you very much. I'm sure our listeners enjoyed that and found that useful. And I want to thank you very much for coming on Big Cat Conversations. Brilliant. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Our main news item is something that some of you will have seen on social media, and that's the sad news that Ebony, the female black leopard at Exmoor Zoo, has passed away in her mid-teens. We had a discussion with Danny Reynolds, owner and director of Exmoor Zoo, in the recent episode 33, and during that, Ebony was lying close by at the front of her enclosure, listening in to all of what we said. Danny and I jokingly discussed what Ebony would do if she got out of her enclosure somehow. Danny felt she would go wild really swiftly and wouldn't drift back, so we used Ebony as a talking point about how readily or not captive wildcats could go feral and survive well in the wild and become efficient hunters of bigger prey. Ebony certainly played a part in helping people learn about black leopards, about the Exmoor Beast and about big cat sightings across Britain, so we will certainly miss Ebony. Now, in terms of web links that we have put on the Big Cat Conversations website for this episode, 36, we have left Eurasian links material for the next show. And for this one, we've put three different videos about the Iberian links from southern Spain and Portugal, because we've just mentioned it with our last guest, Maria, and those videos show some aspects of helping a critically low population survive and hopefully recover. As we said briefly earlier, the next episode is a special edition with David Hetherington, author of The Lynx and Us, and we're tapping all his experience on the Eurasian Lynx in the past in Britain and in reintroduction projects recently across Europe. So back to the future with the Eurasian Lynx in Europe and in Britain next time. Finally, on a domestic point, we are now listed on Amazon Music, so you can find Big Cat Conversations on there if you use that service. Righto, that completes things for episode 36. I hope it's been useful, and a big thanks again to our guests Rob and Maria. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please take care of yourselves, and bye for now. Bye.